It's great to be with you this morning as, would you believe it, we bring our summer series to a close. Do you know, uh, the end of the summer holidays for me as a teacher, do you know, it's, I've had five weeks and the last week is always a difficult one. You, I can feel the sympathy coming for you. I almost, did a, I almost did a little graph of average holiday, five weeks, to teach a holiday, 13 weeks, just to kind of rub it in slightly, but I thought that was probably going a bit much. In fact, next Sunday is the 1st of September, which fills me with some kind of terrible dread that next week I'll be starting work. Back in the office, back in there. Um, maybe it's different for you if you've got kids. You can't wait for the 1st of September. Give them back, give them back. I don't want them anymore. I don't know. But actually, for my family, um, it's fair to say that they will experience over the next week the most uh, cataclysmic form of developing Sunday blues. Uh, it gets worse and worse as the week goes on. And by next Sunday, I'll be non-talkative, grumpy, virtually uh, snapping at every situation. Actually, it's a pretty, pretty rough week. And I'm preparing myself to go back to work. But to some degree, there is a part of me which is also looking forward to going back. It's strange. I kind of got this kind of sense I don't want, to, don't want the holidays to end, but also I'm ready to go back. And actually, I'm, I'm entering my 10th year of teaching this year, and um, I'm looking forward to getting back because I absolutely love the job I do. I love the fact that I get to take children on a journey. I get to help them generalize and speculate and discover and hypothesize. And I get to help them get hold of a concept, let it take root in their hearts, and then let it grow as they go on. And don't get me wrong, there are, there are many things about my job which are grim. There's many things day to day which are grim. Maybe it's finding out why that prepubescent t- teenager drew an inappropriate picture with a Sharpie pen in the toilets and having to work out using the CCTV which child it was. Or, or maybe it's, it's dealing with the endless stream of parents phoning me up, hey, Mr. Lawford, my child's in the wrong class, complaining about things that they have no right to complain about. There's many things about my job which are grim. So I got this kind of, I'm looking forward to going back. There's things I'm not looking forward to. I got this kind of Sunday blues, growing feeling over the next week. And it got me thinking, what, what is it that I'm actually looking forward to going back about? And the more I thought about it, the more I came to this conclusion I get to do my job with people who have a like mind, people who love to do what I do, who love to take children on a journey and are passionate about it. And even though they're sometimes beaten up by the role, and even though they're sometimes down in the dumps and just need picking up, we all have the same mindset. We love to teach. We love to help children explore. And most of us will understand that feeling. Most of us will understand that collective feeling of success. You know, at the end of, end of last year, our, our maths results had been pretty poor for a couple of years. I mean, we, we'd worked really hard. We got a small, close-knit maths team, which I kind of take kind of the oversight for. And um, they report national statistics um, on your SATs data. And we'd never hit a, a 70 this year. And in my heart, I was like, I want to get a 7 at the beginning. And all the results come in, and, and we start tabulating about 7 o'clock in the morning. We've got 148 children. We know how many it was. And we count out the number, and we got 70.5%. And we were like, yes, our team succeeded together. And we shared in each other's joy. And, and maybe you're part of a team. Maybe it's at work. And you, you get that feeling of collective success. Maybe uh, you, go, you take part in a sporting club. 
maybe you're part of a, a cycling team or a running team. And there's that sense that when someone else succeeds, you kind of succeed with them, even if it's you, not, not even you taking part. Maybe it's a hobby or something you do in your spare time. Often things are more rewarding when done together. And this summer, we've been focusing on four things that we should be devoted to from this verse in Acts 2. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And we've already looked at three of those, the apostles' teaching, breaking of bread and prayer. And so this morning, I want to focus on what it means to live in fellowship, to be devoted to fellowship. Now, if you were to look up that word fellowship in the dictionary, you would get this definition. It would say a friendly association, especially with people who share one's interest. A friendly association, especially with people who share one's interest. Now, if this was our definition, if this was our definition, it could easily be associated to our sports team. We could call it a fellowship. We could easily associate it to our work team. And we need to be careful not to think of fellowship in this way. It's not just a friendly club of people who share the same interest. In fact, we can be in danger sometimes of doing that very same thing in church. Maybe we use the word community sometimes as a synonym of fellowship. That the church is, in fact, some form of friendly association where people with a little bit of like-mindedness come together to do the church thing. This morning, I want to propose that fellowship here in Acts 2 is so much more than just like-minded people coming together. It's so much more all-encompassing. You see, fellowship is not about individuals voluntarily coming together to share a common interest, but is instead about us sharing in the eternal relatedness and communion between Father, Son, and Spirit, and being in fellowship with Him. Fellowship is the experience of believers engaging with communing with the living God. And that's what we're going to explore this morning. We're going to unpick three things that fellowship is. And then hold on to your hats. We're going to think 10 signs of healthy fellowship. Don't, that's 13 points in total. But don't, don't get worried after point three and I've wasted most of my time. The 10 at the end are really super quick. So... Three things that fellowship is. And we're going to read some scriptures. All the scriptures are going to come up on the screen today because I'm jumping around for you this morning. Firstly, fellowship is God's grace to us. Let's read together the opening few verses of John's letter, 1 John. It says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have heard. Why? So that you may also have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. 
Now, the Bible, the story of the Bible, the narrative is a story about fellowship. That which was from the beginning. God's plan was for us always to live in fellowship with one another, but also with him. This was a part of our original design. We see that in the creation story at the beginning of the book of Genesis. We see it as we go through the narrative of the Bible, and we see it in John's letter here. In fact, if you were to read the whole of his letter, he mentions the word fellowship seven times. Four of those in the first seven verses. Why? Because fellowship is important. The reality, however, is that whilst God is the perfect example of fellowship, Father, Son, and Spirit living together in perfect unity, in Him there is no darkness. For us, it's a bit different. And this is the huge stumbling block which is before us, that sin... The things that we do wrong prevents us from living the way in which God intended us to live in unity, in fellowship with him, and has caused us to be living in darkness. It creates an unimaginable separation that no matter how hard we try, the individual efforts of ourselves cannot cross that chasm, and it is a, a gap we cannot hope to solve. But this is the beauty. Fellowship is God's grace to us. Fellowship is God's grace to us. We are a people deserving of his wrath. We are deserving of his judgment and his destruction. And yet, by God's grace, it says that we can be purified from all sin. How? Because Jesus, the sinless man, God's own son who walked on this earth, died as though he were the sinner. He took the punishment and the, the, the pain of our debt of darkness so that our sin could be paid. And through the miracle that Jesus achieved on the cross, it's now possible for us to walk through and to live in fellowship with God. It's a grace given to us. A little bit what John was saying this morning about walking through those doors. We get to do that because Jesus has paid our debt and it is finished and we get to enter in to fellowship and enjoy all the benefits that has to us. It was done by Jesus, so that here this morning, we get to have a living relationship with our Father in heaven. That is what fellowship is. It is God's grace to us so that we can live and enjoy those benefits which was originally intended. Now, the beauty of this rescue mission, this story, and God's grace is actually bigger than us, bigger than this. You see, God sent his son, Jesus, and he died for our sin. Our debt was paid at that moment, and the curse of sin was broken for all time. But the beauty of it is that Jesus taken, broken, beaten up, bloodied, pierced, stabbed, laid in a tomb to rest, didn't stay that way. You see, death couldn't hold him, and the grave couldn't contain him. And actually, three days later, Jesus is alive, and he's saying, come and follow me and be in my fellowship. Come and join my church. And what happens for us is that in a moment, sin's curse is broken, but for eternity, we are released from the trappings of sin. And so it's possible for us now to live free from sin. It's possible for us to say, do you know what's best for me is to turn my back on sin and say, Jesus, I'm turning to you. 
And before Jesus, before we accepted Jesus, that was an impossible act. We couldn't cross that chasm. But fellowship is God's grace to us because sin has been defeated and we get to live in that freedom. So God, fellowship is God's grace to us. Secondly, fellowship is a gospel activity. Earlier this year, we finished preaching through the book of Acts, and we went through those chapters, and we saw how the gospel took root in the early church in Jerusalem, and then started to grow and go out from Jerusalem, and it was actually propelled across the nations, and now sits in all nations of the world. And at the heart of this gospel explosion in the book of Acts is fellowship, and we're going to take a little kind of a journey through these kind of encounters where we saw significant church growth as a result of the believers coming together. So our story starts down in Acts 1, where the first believers, not long after uh, Jesus has risen and gone up into, been ascended into heaven, it says this in Acts 1, it says, they all joined together. There's an important thing there. They joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among them, the believers, a group numbering about 120. That's it, the start of the early church, a few believers gathering together. And if you fast forward, maybe just 10 days later, these same believers, they are still together. They are still praying. And when these believers are together, sharing in fellowship, this happens. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all where? Together in one place, Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house they were sitting. They were together, and God moved. And from this point forward, things start to explode out of Jerusalem and go forward from there. A, little bit, a few verses later, verse 41 says, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number. 3,000. That is a gospel explosion. That is the gospel going out and exploding out of Jerusalem. And then notice how in Acts 2.46, those new believers weren't just left to do their own thing. Go off and do your own thing. What did they do? They joined with the fellowship. Every day they we must assume that includes the 3,000 who's just been added, continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There was such a gospel explosion and, and love and freedom and joy. The power of the Spirit at work added people to their number daily. They were knitted in to the fellowship in which they were part of. They met in new small groups. I imagine the fifth groups of 50 or 60 meeting all around, this, around the city of Jerusalem, and they were fellowshipping together. And of course, from this point forward, the church starts to spread out, and it starts to go out, and they start to come across some kind of measure of resistance. We see that Peter and John were arrested in Acts 4, and they're later released. And after that point, they, they gather again together. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. The believers met, even in the midst of opposition, together they fellowshiped. What happened? The ground shakes. Now, I've not seen that happen here yet, but we're meeting together as fellowship. 
And wouldn't it be good that God starts to shake the ground around us? That people start to proclaim the word of God boldly and that thousands are added to our number. And it wasn't just ground-shaking stuff when people fellowship together. God used fellowship to raise up new leaders, to appoint new leaders. Look at this one here in Acts 13. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. When we fellowship together, God anoints leaders. He picks people out and says, these guys are going to go here. They're going to do this. And actually, Paul um, and Barnabas are two men appointed by the Holy Spirit out of the context of fellowship who went on to shape the early church and to change things. If we catch up with Paul a little bit later, you know, fellowship's not always done on his, on his own terms. Paul was arrested a number of times. And I love this encounter in Acts 16 where it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas, now they were in prison at this point, which is probably why they're up at midnight, were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners, well, they were listening. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake. There we go again. They're meeting together in fellowship and the ground again begins to shake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. This is just a beautiful picture of two men in crisis. And instead of going, oh, woe on me, I'll just sit and wallow, they decided to do what? They decided to fellowship together. They decided to commune with the God in heaven and say, God, this is all for you. We are going to worship you. And what happens? The doors fling open and chains fall off. And that's our prayer for Paul and Bournemouth, that the doors of the houses surrounding our conurbation would fly open and the chains which bind people would be broken by the power of Jesus. You see, in the New Testament, fellowship is critical for gospel activity. It is the, 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 the instrument through which the gospel starts with just 120 people and gathers pace to the church which we see across our nations. Now, maybe we are 120-ish gathered here this morning. Wouldn't it be incredible In fact, it's my prayer that we would see and trust and call out to God that he would do it again amongst us. That our fellowship, the fellowship that we have with God, both personally, but also corporately with God and corporately together, would be an instrument for gospel advance. Because actually, that's what fellowship is. Fellowship is key for gospel advance. I would love our ground to shake, for new leaders to be born amongst us, for gifting to be imparted, for doors to be opened around into places we never thought possible, for for the word to be proclaimed boldly from generation to generation so that God can have the glory and so that more people can enjoy the grace of his fellowship. He's done it before, and he will do it again. Let's be a people who push into that type of fellowship. See how it's so much more than just a, a club coming together to shared interests. It's communion with our Father in heaven. Thirdly, fellowship is the frontline defense against sin. It says this in Hebrews 3, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, that is fellowship 
which is a grace to us, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. The, the idea of Christian living is this, that when we see Jesus for who he is and recognize his power and his incredible grace that he has given to us and his sacrifice on the cross and we come into fellowship with the Father, our whole life trajectory completely changes. And instead of pursuing our own selfish interest, we choose to pursue Jesus only. And not just now. Not just in this season, not just for this moment, not just on a Sunday morning, but until when, it says, the very end. You see, fellowship with God is not something we do for a little while and then normal life resumes. Jesus is not someone who's captured our hearts only for our hearts to be captured by something more enticing. You see, God is jealous for you. He wants you to run the race. He wants you to live out the faith, and he wants you to do it now, and he wants you to do it to the very end, to your last breath. And yet the warning here is clear. There is a danger. There is a danger that our hearts can turn away from God. How? By being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That some of us perhaps won't finish the race. I love the words that Paul uses when he writes to Timothy towards the end of his ministry. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You see, Christian life is about finishing, but we cannot do it on our own. We cannot do it on our own. You see, Paul didn't travel around as some kind of lone ranger going around Asia doing God's will. He did it in fellowship. He did it with his brothers and sisters, with his companions. Why? I think so that the the word here in verse 13 could be possible but encourage, but encourage. We are to encourage one another daily. You see, as a fellowship of believers, we stand together and need to take a collective responsibility to look out for each other, to prevent our hearts and your hearts and my hearts from being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That the very thing that God captured hold of, when that moment where I gave my life to Jesus, would not be snatched away by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, sin is deceitful. It's crafty. It will tell you that its way is better. It will tell you, and it will get its claws into your heart, and it will deceive you, and it will do everything it can to draw you away from the fellowshipping with God and the fellowship with believers because it wants to take you from finishing the race. The reality is that Christian living is supposed to be done in fellowship. We cannot do it on our own, which is why when someone says, I'm a Christian, but I'm just going to do it my way at home, actually that's hugely concerning for me. And it worries me because actually that's not the way it's supposed to be done. It's supposed to be done together here as a fellowship. N.T. Wright says this, he says, the church exists primarily for two closely correlated purposes, to worship God and to work for his kingdom in the world. The church also exists for a third purpose, which serves the other two, to encourage one another, to build one another up in faith, to pray with one another, to learn from one another, and teach one another, and set one another examples to follow, challenges to take up, and urgent tasks to perform. This is all part of what is known loosely as fellowship. 
So my exaltation to you is be an encourager and be ready to be encouraged. Because sometimes that's not always easy to take. Because we are on the front line fighting and helping each other to prevent our hearts from falling into sins, deceitfulness. And encouragement can give us that boost that we need. It can set us on the right lines. We need brothers and sisters here who love to be discipled, who love to disciple and encourage one another so that we go from drinking milk to eating meat, from we go from a place of immaturity to a place of maturity, and encouraging us to fight the good fight until the very end will do that. So fellowship is three things. There's probably a million more I could add. Okay, it's God's grace to us. It's gospel activity and it's a frontline defense against sin. But what does, what does healthy fellowship look like? What should we be expecting to see here on a Sunday morning? And this is where things get a little bit practical, the kind of rubber hits the road. And we're going to rattle through these 10 things fairly quickly. Um, we, these are kind of, kind of a little bit like a health check. Some of them we've covered in the last few weeks. And for some of us, many of these we'll already be doing. They'll be, they'll be part of our day-to-day life. They'll be part of our natural rhythms. And there'll be things that God's given us the kind of the gifts for doing really well. There'll be some things on this list you think, oh, I'm not very good at that one. Or I don't do this one very well. And there's some things on that list where I'm going, man, I need to press in. I need my brothers and sisters to, to encourage me in this because I'm not doing that very well. And my challenge is this. Which one of these 10 things do you need to press into over the next season. Because we are coming to the end of our summer term. Our time isn't going to end. And before we know it, it's going to be getting really busy. So here we go. Let's get into this list. Let's not beat around the bush. Going to come in pairs to keep us on our toes. First two, feasting and fasting. Thought I'd contrast those together. Um, We cannot and should not underestimate the importance of spending time together eating food with our fellowship. As you, as you read through the book in Acts, when the believers gathered together, they are almost always sharing a meal together. And we should be prepared to do that in our weekly cycle. Make it part of your daily rhythm. Yes, uh, a few days ago, my neighbors, new neighbors moved in. They texted me saying, hey, can we come around and spend the afternoon with you? I thought, yeah, absolutely. Come on around. So when I went food shopping that morning, I thought, I'll just buy two of everything and see what happens. I picked up two aubergines, doubled my onions, picked up more tomato sauce. Why? I hadn't invited them for dinner, but I had it in my head that actually this would be a good opportunity to share food with some brothers and sisters, and they worship at a local church. And I thought, you know what? This is just preparing. Now, if it hadn't happened, that's fine. But actually, I was ready to be hospitable. In fact, when Hannah and I were first married, less so now, we used to come to church having cooked or prepared a massive dinner, maybe for six people. There was only two of us. And we didn't know who we were going to have round, but it was part of our daily rhythm, our weekly rhythm, to say we're going to open our homes and be hospitable. And I want to challenge you. Maybe you've not had someone around your house to have a meal. Maybe you thought that's impossible. Well, find a way. Talk to someone who maybe is hospitable. Can you help me and show me what it means to be hospitable? Because feasting is important. Sharing food is an important part of fellowship. But so is fasting. Now, I'm going to talk about this loosely. My feasting section is this long. My fasting section is this long. Because, you know what? None of us like giving up something. But actually, I think fasting is more than that. It's about sacrificing the things which would trap us to do something else, giving up some of our busyness 
in order to give time over to God. That's what it is, giving up something that would ordinarily just consume us, to give time over to God. And that might be fasting food, and there'll be times where as a church we call the body to fast, to push into one thing, but it might be actually being more disciplined about giving time for your daily Bible reading. Maybe it's getting into a community Bible reading group as a way of encouraging each other to give time over to God. Feasting and fasting, three and four, celebration and commiseration. Celebration and commiseration. What do I mean by that? Well, the words in 1 Corinthians 12 is kind of what I want you to have on your heart. If, if one part suffers, every part suffer, suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. You know, personally speaking, Hannah and myself have been overwhelmed by the way in which Gateway Church's fellowship has both rejoiced with us, but also suffered with us. In fact, we wouldn't have been able to do Christian living without you guys stood around us. And actually, this last season's been pretty rough. We've celebrated great joy, but also we've been through a huge amount. And actually, you guys standing with us makes us understand that actually we don't have to do it on our own. There is a connectedness between us that when we suffer, we understand that you are suffering with us. But when we rejoice, you are also rejoicing with us. And the only way that this can happen is if you invest time in fellowship, which is why feasting is important, because that's time invested so that you can better understand the suffering and the rejoicing of the body. It's why it's important to make it on a Sunday morning regularly, make it a priority. It's why it's important to be part of a a life group. It's why it's important to be part of a a Bible reading group, because all of those things help you be more connected. They help you celebrate and commiserate with those around us. Five and six, spirit and sacrament. Now, Aaron and, and Carlos at respective sites covered this, much of this last week. And these are two things that in the book of Acts were game changers. The things that they did, part of their daily rhythm of life, which led to explosive gospel growth across Jerusalem. When the believers met, they shared together, they broke bread, and they prayed, and they waited. And what happened? The Spirit of God broke in. And it wasn't just a mindless repetition. It wasn't just a, hey, we'll come to the table, we'll do stuff, because that's what Jesus told us to do. They believed it, and they knew that they were actually communing with the God in heaven, that by taking bread and wine, they were in some way saying, God, I recognize your sacrifice, and I'm grateful, and I'm delighting, and I'm being overwhelmed by the joy that I have in being able to be in fellowship with you. And we should also be crying out for more of the Holy Spirit at work amongst us. It's the only way that our, our town's going to be changed when the Holy Spirit breaks out and starts drawing people in, starts in giving us vision for what God would have amongst us. Seven and eight, practical help and prayer. The fellowship, this fellowship, is a place where you should be unashamedly able to approach someone else and ask for, without fear of kind of feeling bad about it, ask for practical help. Would you believe it? There are people in this room who love putting up sheds. I was, I've done two in a weekend. I love it. Repair jobs or potter in the garden, or cook you a meal. There are people who want to offer you practical help, especially in times of crisis. In fact, when Hannah had surgery, we had a meal rotor set up, two weeks of not having to worry about what I'm eating, 
That is practical help, which is important. Which is why when a new mum has a baby, they get to come together and all the mums go, let's get a rotor together, because they recognize that's a difficult time. Practical help is an important expression of fellowship. But we also need to be a praying people. It shouldn't be an afterthought to what we do. It should not be something we do, we're coerced into or reluctantly step into. It should be at the core of what we believe that prayer is the very instrument in which we commune with God, an exercise of our fellowship. And if we're not praying, we're not exercising the primary way we fellowship with God. John Calvin said this, he said, prayer doesn't change things. God changes things in answer to prayer. And over the next season, I'm not entirely sure when it's starting, Matt. We're getting stuck into 50 days of prayer. When do we start? About three weeks' time, we're going to be pushing into 50 days of prayer over a kind of a a month and a half period. And we'd love you to be at as many of those things because we believe that prayer is important and we believe we need more prayer and we believe we need to push into God because we want increased fellowship amongst us. Nine and ten, growth and godliness. Growth and godliness. We should be expecting to see new believers added to us. It's a sign of healthy fellowship. We should be expecting to see new believers baptized, declaring that Jesus is Lord. We should be expect to see new believers brought through into a position of discipleship, going from immaturity to maturity. That should be part of our regular cycle. We should be expecting new leaders to come up and be raised up from amongst us so that we can plant more churches, so that we can reach more people. Because if we don't have that, the leadership which is currently there will be like a piece of elastic, just stretched more thinly over a wider net. And actually what we need is more leaders. So maybe it's God's calling you. Maybe he's already started speaking to you. and said, God, I've got something on my life. Well, maybe it's through fellowship that God's going to call something out of you to come and be a leader amongst us. And ultimately, we want increased godliness. We want to see Gateway Church being increasingly godly, rejecting the deceit of sin and living in fellowship together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Do you know, next Sunday is the 1st of September, on the 2nd of September, I start work. My little girl goes back to school, and, and term kicks in full steam ahead. Before you know it, Matt will be wearing his Santa suits. We'll be eating too many mince pies, and the whole of this season could have slipped us by. We could miss it just like that. Let's take time out of the busyness of life. Let's devote ourselves to fellowship. Let's devote ourselves to God recognizing that his sacrifice paid the price so that we could even have that relationship. And let's devote ourselves to each other. Why don't we stand and pray together? Father, I thank you for um, this small verse in Acts, tucked away of things that we should be devoted to. And as we stand here at the end of this summer season, Lord, I pray that you would draw our hearts into what it means to fellowship with you. Lord, that you have made a way for us to to step into that relationship that you wanted for us at the beginning. And by the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, we are set free from sin and can once again fellowship with you. Lord, I pray for us now as Gateway Church. Lord, would you teach us what it means to live in fellowship together? Lord, would you align our hearts with yours? 
Would you let us suffer and rejoice with each other? Would we see godliness rise up from amongst us? Lord, would you bring out new leaders? Lord, would there be practical help going around left, right, and center? Lord, that we would be an expression of fellowship. Lord, that the gospel would explode from this place. Lord, that we would see countless people added to our number and baptized, declaring that Jesus is Lord. And Lord, by your spirit now, would you come and move amongst us? Would you make it possible, we pray. Amen.